Welcome to this episode of the In the Scriptures podcast. I'm Lance Taylor. This podcast episode today is a previously recorded lesson from the Sandlin Road Church of Christ congregation in Elkmont, Alabama. I serve there as the minister and uh, preach and teach God's Word in that location on a regular basis. So enjoy this lesson from God's Word. I hope you'll open your Bible, study along with me as we look at this uh, important lesson that hopefully you'll be interested in to help you and also be able to share with others. Thanks again, and stay tuned for more episodes from the In the Scriptures podcast. The last several lessons we've been talking about this idea that because Jesus died for me, there are things that I want to do for Him. And uh, this will be the last one in this series, although it could keep going, we could uh, add to the list for sure, but this is the last one I have planned anyway. Uh, But the first three, we talked about that because Jesus died for me, first of all, I want to listen to Him. And uh, the Scriptures teach us that we should listen to the words of Jesus, and uh, that has all the more power when we really consider what He has done for us and dying for us. And then secondly, that... I want to stand up for Him. Once I listen to Him and I understand why He did what He did, what He's asking of me, then there should be a motivation that I want to stand up for Him, I want to stand with Him, I want to stand beside Him, I want to follow Him in all of those ways. And then also that I want to respect His authority. Uh, a little deeper than just wanting to listen and wanting to stand up for Him, but that I want His authority to be the authority of my life. His will, His testament, His teaching, His commands, whatever He says goes. Today, I want to kind of wrap this up in a sense with a little different idea. The, you could say the first three things kind of make sense in a, a building up you know, how we follow Him. The last one, though, is a little more of an attitude check. Because when we look at the cross and we consider that Jesus died for us, uh, obviously that should motivate us in regard to the things that He has done for us and asked of us. But one of the things that we're commanded and taught in the New Testament is to be forgiving. And forgiveness to make a a statement that's overstated, forgiveness is easier said than done. And yet, when we look at what Jesus has done, not only did Jesus say it, command it, teach it, but Jesus did it. Was it easy? Well, in many ways we could say, no, it was not easy. Look at what He suffered. Look at what He endured. Look at what He gave up. Look at what He sacrificed. Look at what He faced in order to forgive. But you and I, I really do believe, need to be able to respond to looking at this example of Jesus and be able to say ourselves, I want to be forgiving that I want to do that. Because so often I'm afraid we approach the idea of forgiveness with 
more of a mindset of I will if I have to. Or I'm only going to because I'm supposed to. Or I will when they show that they want it. Or deserve it. Or have earned it. And all of those things really fly in the face of what scriptural, godly forgiveness teaches us. For instance, just think with me for a moment about what Jesus did, because that's what we're talking about, because Jesus died for me. So having seen what He did in dying for you and me, did He die for us after we came begging for forgiveness? No. Paul wrote to the Romans and said that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. For the ungodly version of you and me, Christ died. Not for the godly version, not for the good version, not for the penitent version, not for the repenting version, not for the obedient version, no, for the ungodly version of you and me, Christ died. Which meant that Christ was willing to forgive before we ever uttered any words asking for forgiveness. And so what I'm saying to you and me, and I'm really preaching to Lance here today, is that my response to Jesus, having died for me, should be a heart that is saying, I want to be forgiving. Am I going to struggle with that? Yes. Are people going to do things that don't earn that and that actually fly in the face of it? Yes. But my what is in my control is the attitude in which that I say I want to be forgiving. And we're all going to struggle with that. This is a great challenge. And the Scripture teaches us this very, very clearly. I want to also point out that there are really kind of three spirits of the heart that are involved in this idea of forgiveness. One is a giving idea. So forgiveness, it has the word give inside of it, right? So we have in our heart the ability to be giving people, to have an attitude of giving. And often that brings us great joy when we give to someone else. Paul quoted of Jesus that he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so we have this heart, this attitude of giving that is inside of us that we're capable of. We also have a heart and an attitude of thanksgiving. In other words, not that I'm actually giving anything, but that I'm, I'm recognizing my gratitude and so I give thanks. I, it's more of what we say than anything else. A response of thanksgiving. And we, we should do that to God. We should do that to Jesus because He died for us, because of what's been given to us. We should have that heart of thanksgiving. And then there's a little deeper, and that is this heart of forgiveness. So giving, I'm giving up something to someone else. Thanksgiving, I'm recognizing what has come to me, though I may not have deserved it, and I'm, I'm giving thanks for that. Forgiving is recognizing that there's a wrong that has been done to me and I'm willing to forego any repercussions. You see that? that? I recognize that something's been done wrong and yet I'm willing to forbear that. I'm willing to forego retaliation. I'm willing to forego 
holding it against them. I'm willing to forego all of the brute nature responses that I might have. Jesus taught it this way in another place. A man compels you to go one mile with him. What do you do? You go with him two. He asks for your coat. You give him your tunic also, right? Your cloak also. You, you know, you go the extra mile. And that's this attitude of forgiving, that I'm willing to do something extra. Giving is a choice I make. Thanksgiving is a response I have. Forgiving is a sacrifice I make. It's a sacrifice. And fittingly, when we look at Jesus, isn't that what we see? We see a living, real eternal example of sacrifice. That He did something that He didn't have to do. That He did something that He wouldn't have chosen to do just out of normal choices. He did it for us. For others. And forgiveness is that very thing and we should desire to have that kind of a heart inside of us. If you've still got your Bible open to Matthew 18, hold your place there because we're going to come right back to this. But I do want to point out that in Ephesians 4, as Paul teaches the brethren at, at Ephesus about several things about just what we ought to do. For instance, in verse 25, he says, therefore putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth to his brother. That's, you know, just this is what you ought to do. In verse 26, be angry and do not sin. That's what you ought to do. Verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer. Verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. These are the things you ought to do. And then he says in verse 32, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now that's a powerful statement. Why should we be forgiving? Well, ultimately we should be forgiving because God in Christ forgave me and you. When we didn't deserve it, when we didn't earn it, when we never can deserve it and we never can earn it. You know, we're, we're not ever going to be perfect until He makes us perfect. Now, in Matthew 18, we have uh, a really great parable example taught by Jesus. Peter comes to Jesus in Matthew 21 and he's... He's been wondering about this, it seems, for a while. In, in verses 15 through 17, Jesus teaches them about a brother who sins against you. He says in verse 15, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go tell him your, his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. And this is a very nice uh, teaching on the principle of how to handle uh, a conflict between two people. And so if, if it's just between two people, they need to talk to each other. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? it? We're tempted at times to go gossip about it, talk to somebody else, to talk to everybody else except for the person that we actually have the issue with. 
biblical principle here is if there's a problem between two people, who need to be talking to each other? The two people. And if you can hear one another, you can gain one another. You can gain your brother in that. Verse 16, If you will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. This is somewhat of an intervention kind of thing. So here's a situation. Maybe you've tried to talk to them you know, just face to face, won't listen. So now, now bring one or two others that already maybe know about this, that are witnesses, that, ha- that have some insight on this. Bring them so that maybe with a little more strength in numbers, they'll listen. Still keeping it small by the mouth of two or three witnesses. And then he gives the further example. If he will not hear that, then, verse 17, tell it to the church. Tell it to the brotherhood, the flock. If he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. And so it's a a principle of how to deal with this problem between brothers. Well, you can just imagine that the gears in Peter's mind were turning, you know thinking, well, Lord, that could be a process that we just have to repeat over and over and over and over. And where does it end? You know? Like, where does this end? And so he asked the question in verse 21, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And it's kind of like, well, you know, if the, if the same person tells me I'm sorry, but then turns around and does it again, shouldn't I go tell the church now? You know? Or do I have to still go back just to him? You know? Or if if the same person does it to me three times, I'm going to go tell James. So me and James can talk to him and try to knock some sense into him. You know, we understand the way Peter might be thinking. Like, how many times? How many times is it okay for me to be wronged, basically, is what he's saying? How many times? Seven times? Perfect number, right? He's showing his... Biblical, godly mentality. Jesus gives an interesting response in verse 22. He says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, I don't know if Peter was a mathematician or not, but 70 times seven, that's 490. Is that right? 490? Are we really keeping tabs like that? Have you really got a little black book where you write down somebody's name and you start putting tally marks? And at 491, you say, Gotcha! I'm done with you. I'm telling the church. I mean, you know? But sometimes we kind of act that way even if we don't say it out loud. It's like we're keeping tabs on somebody or we're tallying these things up or like to what end at some point we're going to say, That's enough. I'm done. It's over. To which I would say, what if God treated us that way? What if Jesus thought of us that way as well? And even in His short time on the earth, in the grand scheme of things, how many times was He wronged? And how many times was He lied about? And how many times was He persecuted and wrongfully treated? Wrongfully represented? And it, I mean, He could have been, if anybody had the right, He had the right to have said, enough's enough, I'm not dealing with you people. No. Even as we're studying in Genesis, back in Genesis 6, God said, I'm not going to strive with man forever. 120 years. You know?
We have to watch ourselves. This attitude pervades us to where we think that there's some kind of score we got to keep. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not for. I'm not in favor of us not keeping score in little league. I mean, if you're going to play the sport, keep score. Figure out who wins. But when it comes to forgiveness, and when it comes to the way we love one another, and the way we think about one another, and the way we interact with one another, it's not about keeping the score. I hate to break it to you. If it was about keeping a score, we all lose. We all lose. So Jesus goes on, and and further than answering this of Peter and and knocking him to the side, really, and saying, you don't get it, Peter. It's not about the number of times. He He tells a parable. He gives him an example. He says in verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle the accounts, one was brought to him and owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. To which we would say, hey, makes sense. Can't pay up. You know? But then, verse 26, The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Simple statement. He couldn't pay right then. If you're looking at it from the eyes of the master, and you're listening to this servant pay, and you're sitting on a throne, and you're looking down at this servant who has bowed his face before you, who obviously has nothing, and he tells you, be patient and I'll pay you all, the, the, the natural brute response in you would be like, huh, fat chance. Yeah, right. When? Not happening. But you know, it's interesting that there is something within us that when someone actually humbles themselves before us, And I do believe this is a godly trait that is within us. Not that we're godly people by nature, we're not. But we have the ability to do this because when somebody humbles themselves before us, there does seem to be something that gets triggered inside of us to bring out a better part of us. We like to be put on a pedestal. That's not a good thing. But sometimes when put on a pedestal, we will actually respond with some level of compassion. And here in this instance, that's what the master does. In verse 27, Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. I'm going to take a little bit of liberty with just wondering, well, why, why could this be? Why could this be? Why, how could we even understand this for this to make sense? But if you can imagine, again, that servant down on his knees, face to the ground, in front of this master who clearly has more than he does, who he knows he can never actually repay. Think about it from the master's side at some point. At some point from the master's side, the master has a level with all those things. He's just a servant. He'll never be able to repay me. But he's still human. He has a wife. He has children. He's on his knees in front of me. I don't really need what he owes me. And so you could see from the master's eyes how at some point you would be moved with compassion to say, you know what, forget it. 
Don't worry about it. Have you ever thought about what it really looks like when we bow before God? Does God need anything from us? Better yet, can God really get anything from us? Is there anything that's not laid bare before God to which He can't look right at us and see exactly what we are? If we come to Him dressed in our Sunday best or whatever it might be or with the most eloquent words we know how to speak, like really none of that matters when we actually bow before God because God can strip every bit of that away, look right at our heart, and He knows exactly who we are. It's quite humbling when you think about it like that, isn't it? And He has the power to do whatever He will with us. And yet He's willing to show compassion, mercy, grace, to forgive. Jesus doesn't stop there, though. In verse 28, He says, But that servant... So that servant gets up off his knees, face off the ground, dusts himself off, turns around, walks out of the door of the Master's palace, you know, and he's like, Whew, man, you know, wow, thought I was getting sold. Whew. So what does he do? He went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and laid hands on him and took him by the throat and said, pay me what you owe. I just, I would love to have been a fly on the wall in that moment and see how Peter and the rest of these disciples res responded to that. I mean, wouldn't it, what, I mean, you just have to cringe, wouldn't you? You'd almost have to blush on behalf of the servant to be like, because the story should go that he went out and he saw one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and he said, you know what, man? I was just forgiven this huge debt. Don't worry about it. Pass it on. But no, Jesus doesn't tell it that way. Why does Jesus not tell it that way? Because people are not generally that way, are we? Now, generally, we are more like the servant who turns around and forgets what has been forgiven of us, and we think everybody else owes us something right away. You see, God, though, commands us to forgive. In Matthew chapter 6, as Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray in verses 14 and 15, He says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Notably, not in that text is any qualification at all. There's nothing that says, when your brother comes begging for forgiveness, or when your brother does works meriting that forgiveness. Like, none of that is there. It's just an, an attitude of forgiveness and a willingness 
a wanting to forgive that should be inside of us. In Mark chapter 11, we see a similar thing. Mark chapter 11 in verses 25 and 26. Jesus said, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Again, notably absent from those verses is the idea that this one who you have something against has asked to be forgiven. That's not said. Now, should we be the kind of people who are asking people to forgive us and who are truly repentant and penitent and trying to change? Well, yeah, sure. But that's not a qualifier here. No, actually what Jesus says is that you're praying to your Heavenly Father and you remember that you have something against someone else and in that moment, He says, forgive Him. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Let it go. Forgive Him. And the warning is just as stark in verse 26 that if we don't forgive, neither will our Heavenly Father forgive us. Jesus is the example of it. It's obviously the point we're making and thinking about because Jesus died for you and me, but in Luke 23... Jesus handed over to Pilate, placed upon the cross, being crucified as an innocent man. And in verse 34, as He hangs on the cross, He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Like, all He, all he really would have had to have said is, Father, forgive them. It's interesting that He says, for they do not know what they do. That's a teaching lesson for me and you that we ought to have this same attitude of being willing to forgive even when the person that we're forgiving doesn't even have a clue. Not only are they not asking for forgiveness, they don't even realize how wrong they are. But I'm willing to forgive. Can I just say too, and this is preaching to Lance as much as anybody else, that if we really espouse this kind of attitude about being willing to forgive and wanting to forgive, wouldn't it take a load off of our own shoulders? So often we harbor and we bear, and as the saying goes, somebody's got a chip on their shoulder. Like we have a chip on our shoulder. No, we got like 50 chips on our shoulder, and it's heavy. And it's a lot. And we just we need to let it go. Put it down. Cast it away. Forgive it. In Colossians chapter 3, in verse 13, we read that we're to be bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Again, how did Christ forgive us? I'll refer back to that text again that I mentioned in the beginning in Romans chapter 5, in verse 6 and following, we read, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died 
for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. There's a great deal of shame in not forgiving. We've talked about this to some degree. I want to spend just a moment on it. As you go through the rest of that parable that Jesus gives there in Matthew 18... Verse 29, his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me and I will pay you all. That's the same thing he had told to his master. So now his servant says the same thing before him. Verse 30, and he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master what had been done. Then his master, after he called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? That's the obvious, right? Shouldn't you have had the same compassion on him? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And then note verse 35. Jesus didn't just say, hey, this is a good lesson to learn from. You know? No, Jesus said this. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart, does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Whoa. That'd make you sweat, won't it? Make you sit up straight. Why could Jesus say something like that? Why can God say something like that to us? To play off the lesson... Because Jesus died for us. So does He have the right to command us to forgive? Absolutely. Has He shown us the example? Absolutely. You think it's not possible? You think, well, you know, Jesus can do that and God can do that. You think it's not possible? Do you remember what happened with Stephen? In Acts chapter 7, Stephen has uh, the guts to stand before the crowd and condemn them for not listening to God through Jesus, not listening to the message of the gospel. Tells them in verse 51 that they're stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears and that they always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. He, He told them straight up, you're wrong, guys. You need to be listening. And when they heard these things in verse 54, they were cut to the heart and gnashed at Him with their teeth. But He, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at Him with one accord. Friends, He's right. They're wrong. And they're they're about to tear Him apart. Verse 58, they cast him out of the city and stoned him. They didn't cast him out of the city and say, don't you come back. They didn't cast him out of the city and say, you'll never preach here again. 
No, they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. The witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Lord, do not charge them with this sin. You ever heard somebody say, well, I'll forgive them, but they got to stand before God. Let me rephrase that question. Have we ever had the thought in our mind? Well, I'll forgive them, but they'll have to answer to God. Read the words of Stephen again. Lord, do not charge them with this sin. You know, it's really eye-opening when you examine what Jesus has done for us, what God has done for us, what He's asked of us to do in response to that, that because He forgave us, we should forgive one another. And then to see the example of someone like Stephen, who not only would say, I forgive you, but would say, Lord, please forgive them. While I stand as guilty before you as anyone of struggling with this very thing. We've all been wronged in our lives. We've all had difficult things happen. We've all had people do things against us. And honestly, we've all made our own mistakes and needed the forgiveness of others. But I'm going to tell you something. If we're going to profess to be Christians, if we're going to profess to be followers of Jesus, we need to work on our forgiveness. Because I believe no matter where we all are in our lives, we could probably all do better. Even if we're very forgiving people, maybe we struggle with this idea of asking the Lord even to forgive them. Taking it to that next step. So in closing this morning, I ask you, do you need forgiveness? Because aside from this, the Scriptures also teaches us to be willing to confess our faults to one another. Not, not so we can throw stones at each other. No. So that we can pray for one another. So that we can say this, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Lord, forgive them. So that we can encourage one another to forgive each other. Even when it's hard. So maybe you realize today that you need to make a confession, not so that we can throw stones at you, but so that we can pray together. So that we can all ask God to keep forgiving us through the cleansing blood of Jesus. This morning, if you're not a Christian, don't you want to become one? After all, Jesus died for you. 
Jesus has already made an action toward you, even if you've done nothing toward Him. He has made an action toward you that says, I'm willing to forgive you. I want to forgive you. I want to welcome you home. I want to have a place prepared for you in heaven. All of those things. But you're not a robot. <laughs> so, so God gives you the choice. Wouldn't you make the good choice today? To be buried with Christ in baptism, to say, yes, Lord, I believe in you. To ask God to forgive you and to commit yourself to following Him. We'd love to help you. Whatever it is. It takes your courage and the power of God to make it all happen. We'd love to see it happen today. If, if you will, come while we stand and sing. Hello, everyone. So you have found the In the Scriptures podcast. What have you found? Let's talk about it for just a moment. I'm Lance Taylor, the evangelist at Sandland Road Church of Christ in Elkmont, Alabama. This podcast is to be a Bible study encouraging the opening of the Bible itself personally to examine the Scriptures so that you can find Christian answers for daily life and to help you better share God's Word and better remember God's Word as it applies to you. So, come with me on this journey as we look in the Scriptures together.